Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Taking a walk. I can't teach anyone how to write a song because if a song really, really works, then it's like a world unto itself. If you come up with a really good one that no one has quite done in that way, but I think the only thing that can drive anyone on is, is to love it. Is to love what you're doing, whether it is successful or if it falls on deaf ears, it doesn't matter that the the important thing is, if you love it, then it will never let you down. Welcome to another edition of Taking a Walk, music history on foot. Buzz Knight is your host, and on this episode, we have one of progressive rock's great guitarists, Steve Hackett. He was the lead guitarist for the British supergroup Genesis from 1971 to 1977. He continues to have an accomplished solo career. Steve is a member of the Rock Hall of Fame, and he joins Buzz next on Taking a Walk. Hello, Steve. Hi there. Is, is that Buzz? That is Buzz. How are you, Mr. Hackett? Yeah, very good, Buzz. Very good. Thank you. So great to speak to you. I've been a fan for a long time, sir. Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm glad you've uh, enjoyed the stuff over the years. So how enjoyable for you has it been celebrating your great work like Foxtrot at 50? Well, it's been kind of amazing because um, we recorded and toured this stuff uh, last year and the rest of the world, and uh, we recorded this album live in Brighton um, on the south coast of England, and um, it's, uh, it's gone to number two in the rock charts over here. So um, the nice validation for vintage material uh, to have a, a kind of a second 
a second chance of, of uh, uh, Genesis Fire, in a way. It's, I, I'm very proud of it, very, very pleased that it's out there again, that I'm able to tour it from an era when John Lennon gave an interview and said he considered uh, Genesis to be true sons of the Beatles, which is rather extraordinary. And John was a big fan of uh, selling England by the pound also, wasn't he? That's right, yeah. I think that era of, of, of selling England was the one that, uh, that I first heard that, the, he'd, um, that Genesis, he said, was one of the bands that he'd been listening to at the time. And then this other interview, uh, the, Nigel Pierce in, in the UK told me about this. He says, you've got a tape of this is what John Lennon's saying. So I, I need to unearth this. He's a huge Beatle ophile, this guy, Nigel Pierce. And he's got all sorts of Beatles and memorabilia and everything. He's basically a DJ and a presenter and and uh, and uh, a complete Beatles fanatic, of course. And it's quite obvious listening to um, well, one of my favorites and certainly our listeners' favorites, uh, "The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway." Um, that has a tremendous uh, tip of the hat to. The Beatles, I believe, is that fair to say? Well, I think you know, maybe songs like "Counting Out Time." Um, I, I would think of maybe at our most Beatlesque, we were doing um, "And What I Like in Your Wardrobe," and that is pretty much pure Beatles, and was our first hit single. I think by the time we were doing "Lambo's Down on Broadway." Um, Peter Gabriel wasn't sure that he wanted to be the lead singer of Genesis anymore. He was really heading towards a, a solo career, and he did great things, of course. Um, but um, I think of that album, uh, uh, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, really as his swan song with, with Genesis. So did you uh, have the opportunity, uh, while John Lennon was alive, to uh, encounter him and talk music and guitar playing and such? If only. No, that, that never happened. Um, uh, I think in those days, my God, you know, um, wouldn't that have been amazing, you know, but we, you know, we, we came from humble beginnings, and when we heard he said that, that was just, that was just PG. Uh, we were trying to get gigs in the States at that time. We were just leaving New York when he started to uh, give us a name check or two, and, um, and that was that was great. Maybe it was just because he gave it or used the cuckoo cuckoo thing in in uh, in I know what I like. Maybe it was as simple as that. Referencing them, you know, quoting them. Um, perhaps maybe it was because of that. He wanted bands that that were, you know, nodding or giving them a nod because obviously they did great things. I mean, we all rode in on the on the coattails of the Beatles. They really opened up the industry for the rest of us. So do you recall a song or artist that uh, you first heard growing up that hooked you on Music for Life? Oh, well, it was so much stuff. I mean, in the very early days, I was learning to play harmonica, and I, I, I loved all, you know, the harmonica players of a certain era, people like uh, Larry Adler and, um, and many more. But... Uh, um, I do remember hearing Mario Lanza on the radio. This is much earlier than, than you're imagining, I'm going to say. But I just remember listening to this stuff and 
and literally falling over at the, at the power of the notes. It just drove me absolutely nuts. And I, I tried to get something like the same thing with a guitar tone many years later, operatic rock guitar, uh, if such a thing was possible. I wanted to make it sing. And, and of course, technology allows you to do that with the, uh, the Fernandez guitars, with the sustainer pickups. Uh, they'll do that, you know. It's uh, no tyranny of volume, no feedback on board the guitar itself. You know, in Guitar World, and I'm going to quote Guitar World, they said, Steve Hackett's early explorations of uh, two-handed tapping and sweep picking were far ahead of their time, and they say that the uh, influence ultimately went to people like Eddie Van Halen, uh, Alex Lifeson, and Brian May, among others. How does that make you feel? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a strange thing that they had the uh, European Guitar Awards uh, fairly recently, and they, they gave me the award. It was, it was in Holland. It was extraordinary. And a lot of these guys sent films congratulating me, um, which was, was marvelous. You know, I, I worked with Brian and met some of them, but not all of them. And, and it was great that guitarists are so generous um, to say this sort of thing. Um, but, um, you know, I, I'm very grateful to them all, uh, uh, you know, because... A lot of the time, I, I think, you know, we can beaver away in the dark and you come up with something and you hope it's going to work and um, maybe a technique like tapping just kind of caught the imagination of a lot of guitarists and they figured it's a way of playing very, very fast on one string and then if you, if you can hop from one to the other and actually do it in time, then you can fire off this kind of machine gun rapid-fire thing. It's... it's um, it's the Gatling gun of um, <laughs> of guitar playing techniques for us, uh, us you know, fret wallers. I'm grateful to have had your mate uh, Steve Howe on a previous episode of this podcast. And one of the things we discussed, you know, was his diversity of musical influences. Um, you celebrate a tremendous diversity as well of uh, influences. Um, starting, I think, with the blues. Can you can you talk about your diverse uh, musical influences? Yeah, um, I I remember um, hearing blues uh, in in the early 1960s when I was growing up and thinking, oh wow, maybe I could do something like that on harmonica. And I used to play along the records like crazy, and and even used to emulate the mistakes uh, just to try and get it right, you know. Um, I absolutely loved blues. Um, I've got enormous respect for Howlin' Wolf and and Muddy Waters and Little Water. These guys, they were all great harmonica players. And then, of course, you know, the white version of that was was personified and deified by Paul Butterfield, who was so absolutely brilliant. Uh, and I saw his band the Paul Butterfield Blues Band in the mid-1960s, 66. And uh, Bloomfield was in the band, Michael Bloomfield, Elvin Bishop, um, Mark Natalie on keyboard. My God. And I think it was um, 
Uh, two guys we've been with um, a Hallimorph band, um, Sam Lay on drums, I believe, and um, it might have been Jerome Arnold on bass, but it was absolutely spellbinding. It was wonderful. You know, I'd been playing harmonica for years, and yet I'd never heard the instrument sound anything like the ripping sound that Butterfield had with that control and, and the vibrato, which was just to die for. Um, it sounded like a like a trumpet or like a guitar. It was just this little tiny instrument that was being reinvented in, in front of my my very eyes. So uh, I have to say, I saw a lot of great bleed gigs, including Cream and uh, and many others, uh, and 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 of course uh, the young and wonderful uh, Pete Green, Peter Green on on guitar was was so. Uh, enormously good with John Mayall's band. Um, so that's, that's some of them, you know, um, so many of them. Sonny Boy Williamson, you know, harmonica player extraordinaire. Um, uh, I absolutely loved blues. I, I thought I was going to be a blues guitarist, harmonica player, but then, like so many others who were aspiring towards that form, the blues boom really died on me at the end of the 1960s just like so many others, and music was on the turn. It was about to change, and it was um, going to absorb a number of guilty pleasures, like classical music, and um, those who've been listening to Andres Segovia and Bach. Where do you get your curiosity that is still, uh, you know, a, a burning passion? Uh, well... I, I don't know where the burning passion comes from, but it is still a passion. I'm still nuts about it. Um, uh, music never really goes away. It's been a very good friend to me. It's It's been rather extraordinary, and there's always surprising things that come up out of it. Um, I've, funny enough, I've just done a new album as well. I've done a new um, video album, and... Um, there's some stuff on that that I absolutely love, and I, I hope I'm going to be doing that, some of that next year when we come back with some of the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway stuff. I'm not going to do Lamb Lies Down in its entirety, but I'll do some tracks from it and um, choose what I think is the best, and, um, and we'll take it from there with some new material as well. so important to keep coming up with new stuff. I have a couple of listener questions uh, for you. First... Um... Tom, who's a major fan of your work uh, from the Boston area, he asks, you're carrying the Genesis torch. Is there any uh, animosity at all from Tony and Mike with regard to that? I don't think so. No, funny enough, um, Tony Banks said to me, this was on the launch of Mike Rutherford's book, he said, you're keeping the legacy alive. And I thought he was going to steal into me <laughs> and say, what are you doing that old stuff for, you know? Can't you do anything else? And he said, you're keeping the legacy alive. So I think he's a strange um, contradiction in, 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 in many ways, you know, but uh, it was a compliment, you know, you're keeping it alive. So, hey, you know, I'm doing it, I'm reinventing it, I sometimes play it with orchestras, many times play it with the band I have who are, are extraordinary, um, as I say, you know, the album Fox Twilight 50 has gone to number two in the rock charts in the UK. So um, all these years later, that little old album we did in 1972 seems to have not only sprouted legs, but wings 
And um, so let's, let's hope it lasts as long as Beethoven. Amen to that. Another, another question, uh, Bill from the Atlanta area. He uh, wanted me to ask you, what are some of your favorite uh, venues um, over your career that you've played uh, in the United States? Well, you know, I, I remember doing the Rossi Club in L.A. in 1973 when we were first touring there. And um, we did three nights, two shows a night, and I still think they were some of the best shows we ever did. Uh, we'd be doing, I think, the best of Foxtrot and quite a bit of Selling England by the Pound. And I do remember that venue very, very well and felt very at home there, very, very, very comfortable. So I remember doing that and from small places to... Much larger, Madison Square Garden was amazing. Uh, we did that, if I remember it correctly, we were, we were doing that in 1977, and um, that, was, that was amazing, absolutely wonderful. So there have been many, many gigs, lots of, I'm talking about the smallest and perhaps the biggest, um, uh, and, and many, many more. I have to ask you, it's uh, been heartbreaking to see Phil Collins's health uh, deteriorate. Um, how how is Phil from your perspective, and um, how how are you guys uh, getting getting it on and getting along these days? Well, I think that uh, you know Phil has given his whole life to music, and even before that, to film and stage and theatre. Uh, you know, he was um, the artful dodger in um, Lionel Bart's Oliver. He was, um, as a child, actor and singer. Um, you have to remember, you know, he was a veteran before he even hit his teens. So um, this is early stuff. Um, so, yes, it is heartbreaking to see him uh, now at this stage of the game. But, you know, he's given it his all. He's a sweet guy. And... So proud to have worked with him in Genesis. He was full of great ideas. And he was a great inspiration, full of energy. And um, I think that Genesis was uh, was lucky to have somebody who was not only a great drummer, but a great singer and songwriter and arranger, all of those things. Um, you know, people often thought that it was other people who did it, you know, the lead singer, it's always the lead singer who invents everything people assume, but in Genesis was full of was full of great writers, good players and, and um and, and, and much more. But you know, Phil was 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 the linchpin really of, of Genesis. Well lastly, I just wanna ask you, if somebody were starting out a musical career who's listening to this, uh, what sort of advice would you give them on mastering the creative process as someone who has really mastered the creative process? Well, you know, I can't teach anyone how to write a song because if, if a song really, really works, then it's like a world unto itself if you come up with a really good one that no one has quite done in that way. But I think the only thing that can drive anyone on is, is to love it, is to love what you're doing, whether it is successful or if it falls on deaf ears, it doesn't matter. The, the, the important thing is if you love it, then it will never let you down. There's, 
there will be no failure. You know that that music is is very broad. It will encompass you, and I think if you treat it as a game where if you're always playing the tables or always playing the instrument, um, lady luck will smile on you eventually. So I would say, please don't throw the towel. And to quote Peter Gabriel, don't give up. I love it. Thank you for the joy you've certainly given so many of the listeners of this podcast and the joy that you've uh, given me with, with your music. I, uh, I'm so grateful. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Taking a Walk podcast. Share this and other episodes with your friends and follow us so you never miss an episode. Taking a Walk is available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.